On CGRU in Toronto, you're listening to Built to Play. I'm Raman Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. We're in the early days of 2019, still running away from the ghosts of our past. That's right. We ran into the night for four weeks. We ran up video game mountains through virtual cities inside lost ships. But the ghost of former Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi has, once again, finally caught us. We woke just minutes ago from our eternal rest in this recording studio, doomed to give awards to the year's best video games. So we will do what we do every year, talk about video games we liked from the year before, and then bestow upon them a pair of golden sunglasses in Yamauchi's honor. Some of these will be personal and some will be general. And in speaking them, we will resolve our annual curse and be free from Yamauchi's madness. Let's start with the worst game we didn't play. So, for this one, um, we have four contenders. It's The Quiet Man, Fallout 76, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, you might think that this is like a weird collection of games, two of which perhaps are more obvious than the others, but I have collected a series of important, perhaps secretive documents that I found on in, in, video game forums on the internet. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll, we're gonna, I'm going to present them as evidence to you. And um, you can, we can, we you can, we can then together right. make sort a decision. A, we can again. We we don't know what the worst game of the year is. Certainly not the one we didn't play. But what's very important to understand is that Hiroshi Yamauchi has already chosen one, and we right. are just sort of divining truths from from sort of the ramblings we get. Yeah, exactly. And like the answer we pick is Yamauchi's truth. Like it's yeah. just it's, yeah. it's 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 like uh, it's like Calvinism. It's exactly. like you were you always believed in God, or you never really did. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's begin with uh, with your your documents. What can you tell me about the Quiet Man? So the Quiet Man is um, a bad video game yep. by most accounts. It is a brawler um, that was for it, it was a PlayStation exclusive. I think so. I don't believe it's on Steam. You somehow that life finds a way. Oh, it was actually released for for Microsoft Windows. Okay, good so to know. So there you go. Um, so the the bare premise of this game is essentially. You are playing someone who is deaf, and you are punching uh, racially ambiguous bad guys, but who are mostly either Hispanic or black, and then, I guess, just punching a lot of dudes. And meanwhile, these FMV cutscenes play. Now, I'm going to read to you the most positive comment I could find on this, which is IGN's review. They gave it a 5.5 out of 10. Okay. um, One of the highest scores they've ever gotten. And in it, they say... In a gaming landscape where sensory overload is everywhere, The Quiet Man offers something quite different and unexpected. The bold choice to mute out nearly all sound effectively adds mystery and tension. But the main character Dane's story is brief and not especially original, and the combat becomes repetitive very quickly, making this movie-game hybrid difficult to recommend as something you'd want to experience as a whole. Which I think is like, it's a very sunny Yeah, uh, sure. That's a very positive take on this game. Now, what I understand about this game is that, again, your character is deaf, and thus you can't hear anything anyone's saying except for sort of muffled things. But on your second playthrough, you do understand what everyone is saying. So the problem is that he's deaf, but he clearly lip reads, so they just stole all the actual audio away. Um, And then gave it later? They just announced on Twitter that they would do it? The problem you run into, which uh, you learn looking through a bunch of reviews and also videos, is that they ran out of actors to play characters in the game. So mm-hmm. char- there's a woman who plays both the main characters, mother and girlfriend, which leads to some very confusing scenes and also incestuous subtext. Well, not really subtext, just overtext. Yeah. It's just text, really. 
Um, so then here's like a piece from a review from uh, from GameSpot, another secret document. When these mystifying, interminable, full motion scenes at, at last end, the actors are switched out for crudely animated substitutions, many of whom bear such a poor resemblance to their real-life counterparts that it's frequently unclear who's who. It's never hard to pick out Dane, though, as he's the only one who's white. The endless procession of villainous henchmen you're asked to brutally dispatch are uniformly Latino, broad caricatures of colos in street gang garb who sneer at you between pummelings. You fight them pretty much exclusively throughout. The political implications of this game's demographic makeup are appalling. Is in, in this fraught time of wall building especially, and the end result is plainly unforgivably racist. So that seemed bad. Yeah, it seems bad it seems like a bad one and i really don't know how this game <laughs> got made it's actually astonishing that this video game got made in 2018 an era where i feel like everyone is so for very good reasons trying to be as sensitive as they can yeah with with diversity and representation of minor of you know of, of visible minorities in games i just want to point out like earlier this year we had a, a people tried to interview um Ubisoft employees about the Division 2 saying like you're killing you have characters being killed in front of the White House isn't this political and they're like trying to be very safe and say no no killing people trying to defeat your government is not political at all no the government Um, can't be political uh, yeah exactly so uh, then this is on the other end where it's like yeah beat them up Beat up the bleed beat, up the Latinos. Beat up the not white folks. Let's move on to the next game in our list of worst games we didn't play. Now this is Fallout seventy six. Yeah, so the I'm there's Fallout seventy six. Like it's this it's a Fallout game, like big open setting. Like you can, doesn't really work. Doesn't really work. You can nuke everyone. But I, I want to tell a story about Fallout seventy six, okay. and then we can kind of go from there. Um, which isn't I mean it's not technically about the game, but I think it's like telling. Um, so. When this game came out, there's like a special edition of it that can- contained a canvas duffel bag. And it advertised, literally, like there's there's an ad that says, you will get a canvas duffel bag. And they point to the bag and it's canvas. And then Bethesda was like, when they actually gave these people the bags, it's like, oh, we ran out of money. Like, sorry. Like, sorry, we're too, guys. We're too busy making this video game that you clearly love. Yeah, we were working really hard on making Fallout 76, the best Fallout game of all time that we forgot to give you guys a canvas bag. So instead, we're going to give you this nylon bag, which apparently was, like, um, b- bad. Everyone like, knows that nylon is not even an eighth of the material yeah. that canvas is. Canvas, canvas is king of materials. Canvas yeah. is on top of the goddamn bag food chain. <laughs> nylon is the krill that whales don't even notice they eat. There's all these materials in between here's, there. Here's here's your bag tier list. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Canvas. Okay. Number one. Number two, those bags you get at Ikea. I don't know what they're made of. Plastic-ish. Plastic-ish. Number three, actual plastic bag from a supermarket. (laughs) Number four, paper bag you put your lunch in or a booze bottle you're trying to drink outdoors surreptitiously. It's a good disguise. It's a good disguise. Yeah, put it on your head. Functional. I'm in a hundred other... Number five. Uh, Well, let's get to number five uh, because number five is important. Backpack. (laughs) All the way at number 332. Nylon. Nylon. Yeah, fair. Bottom. Only thing worse than a nylon bag is a bag made of human skin. <laughs> okay, fair. You yeah. know what? I would agree with that. That's the only bag one made worse. Of, yeah. Bag made of human skin is the only thing worse than nylon. Now, what happened with these nylon bags? Did people get them? Were they pleased? So, um, basically, Bethesda was like, oh, you're clearly upset. We lied to you. But, like, who's really lying? You got a bag. You got a like, bag. You did. Now, we said canvas bag, but you did get a, a bag. bag. So, okay, sure. And then, um, 
they were like, okay, well, we'll give you some free in-game currency that you can use to play in this big open world that's totally busted that we made for you, in which you you play a basically empty wasteland with several other, maybe up to a dozen players. Up to a dozen other people doing nothing. Thing, yeah. You can even buy a fake canvas bag. Yeah, exactly. To make up for the real canvas bag we don't have for you. Except you can't, Dan. The money that they get, the in-game currency they gave people is actually not enough to buy the in-game canvas bag. Now, the thing that that is actually wild to me about that how much is a canvas bag in this post-economic, post-apocalyptic <laughs> economy that you can't, we're going to give you an amount of in-game currency that feels like a reward, but it is not going to be enough to buy a canvas bag. Is it like a trillion dollars? <laughs> so it was the in-game, it was the real-life currency of $5. So they just gave people five bucks and said, problem solved. Right. Um, that did not um, help things, especially when people discovered that actual influencers on YouTube um the kids they had they had given like the marketing department had apparently given these kids like actual canvas bags mm-hmm. and they weren't distributed to the people who actually bought them so that made people angry and they said okay we will give you we we give up you want a canvas bag we will get you canvas bags we will figure this out and then they said now all you got to do is within a certain time limit you got to apply for um a support ticket. Basically just say like, I had a, I bought this thing and the glitch in my video game among the many others is that I didn't get a canvas bag. And in real life. In real life. And the the problem they ran into is that what, there was a data breach in the support system where everyone's from private information got stolen and then also users were able to open and close tickets of other customers themselves and view personal information of other people who wanted canvas bags including names addresses uh, and partial credit card information Mm -hmm. meaning that like there was like people who didn't get a canvas bag whined about getting a canvas bag which look we don't condone necessarily like we don't condone bugging developers on the internet but there's no positive spin to that screwing up your video game. Next on the list is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, yep. which um, I went on like the incredibly trustworthy website Metacritic. Okay, that's good. Now, that, this is one of my favorite websites on yeah. the internet. So they have only like positive, good reviews, and sure. I tried to find like the the ones that were that looked like to have the most. Like they had done their research. Like you, mm-hmm. the thing is, video game journalists are liars and cheats, and yep. the only Every tru- one of them. yeah, and the only true people we can trust are the gamer masses. Yeah, the fans, the fans, the true fans, the true fans. So I went in there and found um, the the most honest uh, reviews. Here's the first one. Honestly, it's kind of ironic how Ubisoft is trying to play this game off as a, a prequel or a pellet. But what the crunk when they thinking about adding? Another hooded boy, as one of the Spartans get hood boy and slapped. <laughs> <laughs> I hate ancient Greece because a ripe ape egg in a <laughs> in a sweet dream. They never talked about this one in a in the history when the Roman Empire was shown on the map. Yet they gave the main pro- t- protagonist a wiglet to try and make up for the lackluster gameplay. Ruin the game, maybe movie adaptation is where you can throw a bone at the audience. Give me a break. Ugh. So that was... <laughs> no, I want to I want to go back there. What is a wiglet? <laughs> I really don't know. But Google the thing is I've put this into a Google Doc and Google has yet to co- to correct that that's an incorrect spelling, but it did pr- it did it does say that Ubisoft isn't a word, which Ubisoft I it, is not which, a word. which is also true. It's also true. Um uh, the thing <laughs> it's just 
bunch of made-up French. Who knows? So the thing about Assassin's Creed Odyssey is that I think I might like it, especially <laughs> now that I found that this person hates it. <laughs> I mean, good point. This is I I'm a, I was a big ancient Greek fan as a kid. Now here's the problem: <laughs> Are you worried about the ripe ape egg? I am worried about the ripe ape egg. If that means that the gameplay is still Assassin's Creed gameplay, which hasn't been fun in years. Yes, fair enough. That's that, that's a new development. That's sort of a new hot thing, and that might be what the ripe ape egg is. I got I got one more piece of. A thing that we can we can okay. perhaps help us. This is from another. Um, they gave it three out of ten. Okay. Um, if I were to write an essay, even if it were the best essay in terms of grammar and pronunciation, I would <laughs> <laughs> I would still fail if the test should be about shoes. But I wrote about socks. Assassin's Creed should always improve in stealth and parkour, always. But somehow it is reversed. We don't have hidden blade. We don't have social stealth. We don't have parkour, and most important, no assassins. I don't understand critics like IGN where they judge a game not from the lore standpoint, but as a game in general. To be fair, if this game had another title, I would give it 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) If this game were Mario Odyssey 2, it would be the greatest video game ever made. But because it is called Assassin's Creed and does not have a hidden stealth blade... Does not have social stealth, which I guess is that thing where you just sort of walked in a crowd and stood still. Yep, pretty much. And everyone ran away from you. Because you don't jump into hay bales, this game is hot garbage. So, but otherwise, perfect. Otherwise, perfect. <laughs> this, again, these are all arguing to me. This, again, no salient points about the raw APEG. But it does sound like this is a great game. So maybe this is not the, the contender for maybe, a worse game. Maybe this is, uh, these guys are convincing me that maybe I should have played Assassin's Creed Odyssey <laughs> and fought the hooded boy. So, okay. Um, the next one on our list is Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, this is a popular video game, but again, you have secret documents, so yeah. tell me what the secret of the use is on this one. So, this one I got, so this is, like, mostly from Metacritic. Um, gets very, very boring riding, gets very, very boring riding a horse. The game mode is fine, but once that's been completed, the game is dull, unless you like riding a horse, Sim. It seems Rockstar is herding up some cash cows. You put the game on, play it for 20 minutes, then turn it off. And I'm trying to understand how that herds them up cash cows. You've already purchased the game. They don't care if you play it or not. No, and also, you apparently this person beat the game, which is like at least 60 hours long. Yep. You beat the game, and then you're like, where's the content? Where's more stuff? Where's more stuff after 60 hours? All I can do is ride this horse because I've completed every mission. I've completed every mission, and all I can do is ride this dumb horse. Which, I mean, like, I feel like if you're playing a Western, maybe it's, like, a bad idea, but yeah, also... If you don't, I'm just saying, if you don't like horses, you are buying a video game about cowboys. Yeah. If you just... Again, I agree. I've When I beat a game, and all I'm doing is riding a dumb horse, like in Mass Effect, yeah. just ride this dumb horse around the Citadel, yeah. <laughs> it's boring. I want to get back to shooting guys, but I beat all the quests. Where is there more quests? And then this is, this is the last document I think we'll pull from, um, which is the Kotaku, Kotaku article about uh, the labor practices at Rockstar during yep. the development of this game. The temperament from these guys being the housers has always been, it should be a privilege to serve in its organization, said a person who worked at the company. And if you don't agree with that, there's a long line of people waiting to take your place. That's a common sentiment from those who have had negative experiences at Rockstar, especially those who were there during the first Red Dead. Quote, I would normally never speak about my time at Rockstar. It's not my style, unquote. Another person who worked at Rockstar San Diego during that game development. But we were absolutely forced to work six-day weeks in the six to nine months leading to launch. 
And th- this is all in the context of similar practices occurring around the same time during the development of Red Dead 2, which, I mean, to me seems bad. Yeah, it's r- sort of rough. Everything we've read and heard about the, the sort of the Rockstar development situation is bad. Yeah. They made people throw out a game and remake the whole thing, like, what is it, like a year before the game came out? And it's all for horse riding, apparently. It's all for horse riding and horse balls. Yeah, if that's <laughs> for very incredibly detailed horse balls. Incredibly detailed horse balls and fancy hats and beard, realistic beard growth. I think this is a, is a real contender for, for worst game. What do you, it, but based on, this is the last of the four that we have. Like, okay. wh- what would you say um, is the worst of the, of the worst? I think that Red Dead Redemption must be the worst. Mm-hmm. Not only because it's a bad game with bad horses after you've beaten them. But perhaps more importantly, The Quiet Man probably ruined four people's lives. The four people who played it for review. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is clearly a good video game, raw ape eggs aside and hooded hooded boys aside. But Red Dead Redemption seems to have ruined a lot of lives. Yeah. I think that's a good choice, Dan. I think that Red Dead Redemption, like, forcing people to work for for many hours in many different departments. Just disgusting amounts of times that aren't worth it. Just release the game a few months later. It's okay. Or just... Take it. What? It's not like this game's not going to be a. It sold bucket loads. That's a scientific number. It was going to sell a bucket load no matter what. Ten billion bucket loads. Like the fact is, this is a a popular series. They didn't need to. If they wanted to throw up the game and start again, you can just say that and then make everyone work forty hours instead of instead of working eighty hour like like eighty hours per week. It's just not. It's it's untenable. You can't make people do this. And you, I just can't, like, I don't necessarily like the game itself, but it feels so hard to even have a positive approach to a game that clearly, like, hurts so many people. Totally. That's, and I think that's a good justification to to make. Worst game we didn't play, Red Dead Redemption 2. Rockstar Games, Hiroshi Yamauchi's gold spray-painted sunglasses will be in the mail. Now, the next category is game we would have loved to play in the summer between high school and university. Yes. So the, the nominees are Monster Hunter World, Battletech, Valkyria Chronicles 4, Hitman 2, and Dragon Quest 11. Now, Armand, you've conveniently put here the amount, approximately the amount of time it would take to complete this video game, give or yes. take a few hours. Now, in order from shortest to longest, we have Hitman 2 at 21 hours, Battle, oh, sorry, Valkyria Chronicles at 45 hours, Battletech at 47, Monster Hunter at 51, and Dragon Quest at 84. And these are all taken from time it, from howlongtobeats.com. Yeah. So the thing that I kind of noticed here is that I could probably have beaten Hitman 2. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you look at like Hitman Two, and it's like twenty one hours. That seems like a play. Uh, that seems like a playable video game. Yeah. Only like an entire day. Yeah, only an entire waking day. And the problem that I would run into in in that specific time, that specific summer, is that I would finish the game. That seems bad. Yeah. But I, while something like Dragon Quest Eleven, there's a strong potential that I may not finish the game. I may never finish Dragon Quest Eleven. <laughs> I know the drag. I never finished Dragon Quest Eight. I liked it a lot. Didn't yep. finish it. The game was really long. Yep. The game was also probably about eighty four hours. Now the thing that gets me why I think I have to disqualify Dragon Quest Eleven as well is that I know I'm going to play it when it comes out on. Switch. Okay, fair enough. So for me, I have to disqualify it because I know I'm going to play it when it is on a system that I can go to bed with. So in that case, <laughs> I like the way you phrase that. Um, the uh, it's romantic. Uh, that leaves Monster Hunter World, um, Battletech, and Valkyria Chronicles. Now, the longest of these is Monster Hunter World. Um, I have tried to play two of these games. Yes. Val- Valkyria Chronicles 4 was great, but I couldn't make it more than like four or five missions in before I realized how long it was going to take me to beat it. Monster Hunter World, I just bounced right the hell off of, and I'm sure if I had 100 hours in my life, I could be the best Monster Hunter World player in the world. I looked at Battletech and thought, 
I really want to play this game. And then I looked at how long it takes to actually make progress in that game, and I said, actually, I have things to do. Yeah. It's... And this is the thing you run into of like Monster Hunter World sounds like a great video game that like you can hone your skills and like you pick at it every single day. And then you can play no other video game. Yeah. You can like you can play Monster Hunter World and then never play anything else because you have about four hours after work is done to enjoy the meaningless existence that we all have. And yep. then within that four hours, you gotta pick your time wisely. And it turns out that I cooked dinner and occasionally saw friends and then played Spider-Man yep. instead of playing Monster Hunter World. And and the thing that we'll always do about Monster Hunter World too is that it's the game best enjoyed with friends who are also playing it as much as you. So yeah. you need a bunch of other friends who are also high school aged. Yes. So so I think we're gonna give this to Monster Hunter. I think we're gonna give it to Monster Hunter World. Now like, I I, I, I want to note that you did forget to say that this particular award game we would have loved in summer between high school and university. This award is presented by taxes. <laughs> doing taxes. Now we're gonna turn to Camera Three and say, Hey, Camera Three, um, guys. Could you just make video games shorter? Like, there's like, just, a, I we would I would be the hitman here, but I'd be like, boy, that's twenty hours. Yeah, that's I could, great. I, I am looking that. at that and saying, only a living day. That's amazing. That's amazing. I could beat that probably in a couple weeks. Yeah, <laughs> it'd only take a month. It would only it, take me a month to beat it. The idea of looking down the gauntlet of a video game that is like basically a year of your time is horrifying. Now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, it's impossible. I like, I don't know. I played Persona Five two years ago, and I don't think I could do that now. And kids, like all the kids listening to this show, like just treasure what you have. Treasure what you have, and try to play short games now, so you don't get disappointed when you can't play these games in the future because you're doing taxes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So our our last general category is best game, but for the year 1993, our nominees are Magic: The Gathering, which came out on physical cards. Yep. Um, Doom, which came out on PC. Mist, which also came out on PC. Star Trek, the next generation interactive VCR board game, which came out on board game and VCR. Yep. And Virtual Fighter, which is an arcade video game. Now, let's start disqualifying things. Virtual Fighter was great, is dead now. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Virtual Fighter does not stand the test of time. The best way to play Virtual Fighter is turns out buying a copy of Yakuza 6 and playing Virtual Fighter 5. For Virtual Fighter 5. Mist, disqualified by virtue of having a parody game uh, starring Tom Arnold, known as Pissed. <laughs> also, for being incredibly hard to go back to. Yeah, just unplayable now. Doom for having a better game, and also modern Doom being nothing like old Doom. No, nothing at all. Turns no. out Doom is great, but original Doom is hard to play. Yeah. Can't uh, go back to 993. It's now gone this, now. Now, this is a tight race. Yeah. Star Trek, the next generation interactive VCR board game for VCR and tabletop. <laughs> that is an un- irreplaceable experience. That the game other, is the, unique. That game is unique. It's it on is, a unique platform. It's it, You can't replicate it. No. You can't emulate it. It's it's it stands, it stands the test of time in the same sense that if you have a VCR and space on a table, um, it's the only game of its kind. Yep. And there's no other Star Trek game of, that requires both of those things. Now, and... I think that's that should be that should be merited. That should be definitely merited. Now, the reason I think this award should probably go to Magic: The Gathering, yeah. Um, and all, and 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 again, it is not the reason this award exists. We are whispered these tomes, these ideas by Hiroshi Yamauchi. It was probably nostalgic for the days yeah. where he was alive. Yeah, this, um, I mean, in the particular year of 1993, where presumably Nintendo was making video games. They were making video games for the Super Nintendo and Game Boy. None of which are these, but you know, no. It's, um, he he was looking out there. Yeah. He saw Star Trek The Next Generation Interactive VCR board game and said, well, we're never going to make anything that good. Exactly. Magic the Gathering has actually a new video game, and it's good, and that's the most shocking sentence (laughs) anyone could ever say in the year 2019. Here's the thing. It turns out when you make one game for, like, 
25 years. Yep. It's pretty good. Like, yep. you, you, you kind of work out the kinks. You make it visually interesting. You're able to kind of remove the bad stuff and filter back in the good stuff. Now that you have Magic the Gathering Arena... It actually looks pretty good on on the computer too. Yeah, it's a, it's a good game. Literally, the only bad downside is it's not on phones yet. But otherwise, <laughs> it would be good. So, okay, for for anyone who hasn't, what is a Magic the Gathering? A Magic the Gathering is a card game. It's pretty much the original of these like trading card games. Yeah. Um, you play a you you are you are playing against your opponent. You each have sixty card decks, and you play cards which are known as spells to either cast spells, sorceries, or instants or creature cards and various other cards in between those two things right. to defeat your opponent's life total. It's sort of like if Yu-Gi-Oh! was more complicated. <laughs> anyway, Magic, Ma this was sort of a banner year, I think, for, for digital card games. Hearthstone, uh, allegedly Rastakhan's Rumble is the best Hearthstone expansion since Knights of the Frozen Throne. I mean, the fundamental flaw with that is that it's still Hearthstone. It's, well, the, the second fundamental flaw is that Blizzard has still has a character with a Jamaican accent named Rastakhan. Oh, that's, you're right. I forgot about that's that. That's sort part. of a big fundamental flaw <laughs> with everything Blizzard. Yeah. And then Artifact, which is Valve putting their incredible amount of money and developer horsepower behind a beautiful card game that nobody wants to play. <laughs> It's just Magic Gathering Arena is good. It's the best card game of 1993 and 2018, and probably 2019 too. Wizards of Coast, your golden sunglasses will be in the mail. Please open them in a pack and convert your mythic into one pair of golden sunglasses. They are a legendary enchantment that grants your creature plus, uh, plus zero, plus two, and lets you scry at the beginning of every every turn. And now we're going to move on to the personal awards with my first pick, which is the deadliest video game, which is God of War. Now, there are many games of dads. This was a banner year for dad games. Exactly. This, there's so many games with so many dads. And this one is perhaps the best I have seen in terms of characterization. So the thing about God of War, it's a sequel to a long-running series about the God of War. And the idea is that you take this guy who apparently at one point killed Ares, becomes the god of war, and then is an angry man and like stabs monsters and bad guys, and then has no real character arc at all. Um, and then takes that guy and gives him like a cooling off point. Literally, in terms of like he's now in North mythology, so everything is cold, but also he has a son and he has to deal with that relationship and almost has to cool down. So it's like the god of war is like his tumultuous early days as like a punk rocker. This is him settling down and trying to become like a good, a, father. A good father. And I think that God of War has some limitations where it takes that story ultimately. But I want to, to, to say that taking this character who is basically incredibly one note and then allowing him to have um, a level of depth that is rarely seen in video games generally is a fascinating approach. So one thing that I want to highlight, for instance, is like early on in the game, um, there's a lot of scenes where like the boy, Atreus, would run up and like there's like a big landscape and Atreus and um, Kratos wants to like pat Atreus on the back or mm -hmm. something. But there's something about, there's something about the scene or something in him that he refuses to. And as those scenes progress, he gets closer to actually engaging physically with his son, which mm -hmm. is like, a really interesting and subtle touch. Yeah. And it's little things like that. So even like incidental dialogue. So one thing they do is like early on in the game, 
um, one of the key things is that they have to take fair, um, they have to take Kratos's now dead wife um, ashes up to the mountain, and he has to, he tells his son um, he's not ready to do it, and they almost don't go up the mountain. They they have a there's a change of plans, but they they end up going anyway. The um, and he starts off saying basically you aren't ready, but as you go through fights, at the end of every fight, Artreus asks how was I, and his comments start like you need to focus and but it slowly becomes like better and like it kind of shows both through the combat and through the it kind of shows both through the combat and through their interactions these characters progressing in a really interesting way Mm -hmm. and because of that i want more games to think about when you have a character like kratos giving them just ways to interact with other characters can be so enriching for them i i hope that that people look at god of war and maybe like Maybe don't take the the gameplay necessarily, but take like animations, take ideas of incidental storytelling, take, take how like is positioned in the world where he has to both hide things and have motivations. So another piece is like with God of War, our trace becomes an inc- as the game progresses, our our trace becomes an increasingly valuable part of your combos. So you can you can smash an enemy into the ground, he bounces up into the air. Um, and then Artreus can help keep them there and prolong kind of your 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 attack sequence yeah. by shooting arrows at them. And that allows you to kind of keep this character immobile and, and going. And the more Artreus grows the character, the better your capabilities are. And so building this relationship. Now, one game that tried this before was Bioshock Infinite, where you had mm-hmm. Elizabeth kind of running around and she'd pick up items and throw it to you. But the thing about Elizabeth ultimately was that she was such a weird in-game cheat. It didn't look, you had no idea whether she was actually picking things up from the environment. She's also just like there's no actual way to interact with her she's just kind of there it doesn't do a great job of actually reflecting the world they're in and the character's relationship between each other in those moments of gameplay and in like the, the very incidental touches so for future games god of war does the be- makes the best dad and makes him cry the best tears i feel like the thing that i would want to see maybe from future like dad media is something that I think we saw really well in, um, for example, Spider-Man Homecoming this year yes. of having a like emotional relationship between these two characters that goes both ways. Yes. That is sort of more, much less about like, I will remain the gruff manly father figure and a lot more about, I will bear my emotions to my child and my child will bear those emotions back. I, I think yeah. that there is, that is something I'd like to see that I feel like games haven't really gotten to yet. And it's wild that like, we we kind of made fun of like, the fact that there's like a lot of games of dads and it partially reflects the fact that the industry is now in a place where a lot of the people who were in their 20s when they started in the industry are now in their 30s and their 40s. Corey Balrog, in fact, like part of, part a lot of the interviews focused on him having a child and how that changed his perspectives. But you still have to then make the leap of like, oh, your video game protagonist is now a dad but you have to have it be an actual relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just say, it's a dad now. Yeah. And I think God of War actually does that very well, where it's like, Artreus is, resp- they are trying to be vulnerable with each other, and in doing so, they kind of both become, Kratos is guiding his son, perhaps not in, like, the most effective way, but, like, through time, is, like, digging at that. And then he- Artreus is allowing Kratos to kind of be more vulnerable over time. Yeah. And you get to see that development. It's nice. I think that... Well, uh, God of War, your golden sunglasses, and novelty, uh, this, he, like, I'm with dad, I'm with son t-shirts are in the mail. <laughs> what would you, is your next uh, Yes, the next award. award we have here is the best air dashing into the arms of everything you've ever hated about yourself. 
is Celeste. Yeah. Uh, Celeste is a platformer by the team at Map Makes Games. You may know it as the uh, story mode spinoff for Towerfall, um, <laughs> which is technically what it is. Uh, Celeste is a game where you play as a woman named Madeline who has set out to climb the Celeste Mountain in British Columbia. Yep. Not a real mountain, in a real province. While on the mountain, you sort of... You you kind of start to un, uh, unravel this old the story about how Madeline is a woman with a lot of anxieties and is coping with depression. And towards the early part of the game, she creates the uh, another Madeline, a yeah. dark Madeline, who is um, essentially all of her anxieties manifest. Who is constantly telling her that she can't climb this mountain, that she isn't worth anything, that she can't make decisions for herself, and. Early on, this doesn't really tie in with the gameplay in a super, super intense way. Um, but as the game progresses, particularly in the last chapters, the, what starts as a very, very good puzzly platformer, right? Yeah. The thing about Celeste that really bears mentioning is that it is a like near-perfect indie platformer. It does everything right. The level design is fantastic. The mechanics are so, so tight. It does. It just it reminds me of Super Meat Boy, but I think almost better executed. Well, it's interesting because it's like this middle point between Super Meat Boy and Braid where it carries all the thematics that Braid attempted with like a... Um, Celeste has like really tight controls yeah. but isn't is nowhere near as like... The thing is, punishing, Super, right? Yeah, and Super Meat Boy's levels like lasted seconds sometimes. Yes. Like this is, this so is a game... world that it, They want you to kind of sit in this world for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and there's all kinds of really clever puzzles in the game that require you to, to remember what the world looks like and stuff like that. The... The thing that is so great about Celeste to me is that as you progress through the game, the mechanics that underlie it kind of tie in with the themes in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And in the last act of the game, you need to you try to fight the other side of Madeline, and it causes you to literally fall off the mountain because you reject everything about yourself, and it destroys you. Right. And when you are down there, you have to find her again and talk with her. And once you talk with her, you open up this new mechanic by which you can literally jump into the arms of all of Madeline's anxieties, everything she hates huh. about herself, and it will launch you directly upwards. And you gain an extra air dash out of that. And the dashing, by the way, the way Celeste works is that after you jump, you're able to dash, um, which lets you, you know, move in eight directions and, and, and accomplish all kinds of crazy puzzles. But when that happens, that means you will do these crazy things, which involve you jumping like diagonally up over spikes, dashing back diagonally down into a pit where where the you know all your anxieties are waiting. Yeah. Launched up, air dashing again up, wall jumping off of something into a nu- into all your anxieties again, <laughs> being flung up into the space, doing that again and again and again and again and again and again, bouncing up the mountain, and every time you clear a chunk of the mountain that way, you stop and talk to your anxieties about your anxieties, and the jump becomes stronger every time. Right. And this idea of actually physically having to leap into the arms of everything you hate about yourself and learn to accept it by physically jumping into it is really, really cool and really effective, I think, at selling the game's themes. There are a lot of games that have tried to talk about coping with depression. There are a lot of games that have tried to do something about that. And a lot of them, I find, kind of go into... Yay, I beat the boss. I'm not depressed anymore. I punched depression in the face. Well, like, it's it's interesting because, like, a lot of these... The thing that um, happens a lot in video games is that you have the story and then you have the the gameplay, which is irrespective of it, right? Like, it just kind of... They kind of exist together, almost. And it's, like, a similar situation which I was talking about with God of War where it's, like, 
these things are finally start, starting to come closer together yeah. where it's like now you have this literal mechanic which represents an emotional part of this person's journey. Mm-hmm. And and there are other places the game does that too. There's a fight with a boss in um, all the Dark Madeline fights are fantastic by the way. The running from your anxiety is literalized as a per- as something that copies you but does it just slightly weirdly is a really really cool thing to do with a Dark Madeline boss fights. But also the 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 boss fight with um, I cannot remember his name but the ghost bellhop of the uh, or the ghost concierge of the hotel on the mountain right um, who is also racked with anxiety and self-doubt uh, and and probably has some amount of like um, just over-reliance on others and other people's you know uh, val- validating him yeah and the fight that you have with him and the way that you go through his level totally ties into all that in a way that's super interesting and really exciting yeah um, the Celeste does such a good job of tying in its thematics with its mechanics in a way that I, like, like you just said, right, that I really hope we see more of from games, and I really didn't expect from the single-player Towerfall campaign. What is this game going to get itself? Well, it's going to get itself a pair of golden sunglasses. They will be hidden in the deepest part of the Celeste Mountain. So, uh, Matt Makes Games, please go to British Columbia and uh, air dash your way into the molten core of the Earth to find yourself a pair of beautiful golden sunglasses. All right, and then thank you for for sharing that, Dan. Now we're going to do my next award, which is Best Game That Can Set You at Ease Through Art Style in a House of Ten Cats. And the winner of that prize is Gorogoa. So Gorogoa technically came out in 2017, but it came out after we'd done our awards. And it is a fascinating puzzle game that is about mindfulness and spirituality um, and explores how, how one has to take a journey within themselves and does this through, like, a really interesting mechanic, which is primarily that, like, you have a set of four panels and you have to move the panels around and trigger actions within the panels and also potentially move the panels onto each other in order to create an environment through which the, the main character can move. And it does this through amazing art design. And it does this through, like, gorgeous music. And it does this through a kind of constant sense of progression. The idea that you're always moving forward and then at the end it kind of pulls you pulls you back and kind of gives you like a way to look at like what your journey has been. And I think one thing that I find really interesting about Gorogoa as a as a as a piece is that the creator of the game um, has he's been working on this game for ages. Like he used to, this game used to be showcased here in Toronto in um, the Comics versus Games exhibitions that were done around um, the Toronto Comics Arts Festival. And during that time, he had a ton of variations, a ton of potential levels, but he wanted to narrow it down to this specific experience. And I can tell you, this was a very, um, this, this game helped me a lot through an anxious period in which I was in a house with 10 cats um, in Brazil, where I have a Brazilian family and my aunt likes cats and um, the two cats that she had bred with each other and then they had a litter of cats and the cats were everywhere at all times and there's a lot of animals and people and um, you, when you're just in a person's home you have to stop losing your mind as all these cats run around and it turned out that like focusing in and like doing something like Gorgo was actually surprisingly like peaceful like it allowed me to focus in on like around the same time I was like trying to catch up on games that I'd gone through and like um, what remains of Edith, Edith Finch and um, the a bunch of other like small indie games and this was the one where like coming through going from beginning to end it's a small game maybe like two hours I felt like a moment of harmony which is weird like there's like the only one 
that I think replicates this, which is a game we didn't play, but um, is is similar in, in from the way people have described it, which is Tetris Effect. Right. Um, in that it's very much about focus and, and an inner journey in, in the same way, although Tetris achieves that in a very different way of basically focusing through mechanic, mechanical repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, this was very much about like very much taking the time to think through your process. And also, if you just take a look at some of the art in the game, it's absolutely stunning. And the way the, gun, the, the art overlaps um, through parts is such a... It must have taken so much work to design these levels in, in their kind of intricate, perfect way. Um, that I think it's like incredibly commendable, but it's a short experience. Wor- definitely worth your time. Dorogo is is fantastic. I played yeah. it like really late last year, so it's a little like foggy in my memory. But it, it just it strikes me as those like picture puzzle books. Exactly. That I had as a kid, like the ones where you can pull stuff open and see stuff behind the frame and stuff like that. It's it is a gorgeous game that is absolutely just soothing in every sense of the word. It yeah. is, it's a great like self care game. I remember playing through a lot of games where at the like I would play them right before bed and I couldn't get to sleep because. It would just rile me up so much. Like, here's this hot-blooded action, or here's like this this puzzle that took me forever to solve. And yes, I got it. With Gorogoa, even when I succeeded, my response was always like a, an exhale. It was an exhale rather than like raw adrenaline in the same way, which I found incredibly rewarding as an experience. And I hope that games learn from this and then try to look for providing like things that aren't just like. Things that aren't just like raw adrenaline producing, because yeah. it seems like we got a lot of that stuff this year. We absolutely did. So, uh, what will Gorgo be getting for itself? Gorgo will be getting a lovely uh, copy of uh, Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. <laughs> it's also gold inside a pair of golden sunglasses in the mail. Congratulations, Gorgo. So, moving on to our next game. Uh, now, this is what this is the award for best insurance simulation. Yes, and I mean, I think that just obviously has to go to Return of the Obra Dinn. Yes, the, the finest o- insurance simulation of 2018. Sorry, I mean, but it looks like it's on a Macintosh. It does look like it is for a Macintosh. Uh, in you can also get a Commodore Did we put filter. this in the wrong? Fil- we may have put this in the wrong category. This yeah. may be a great game for '93. Uh, Return of the Obra Dinn is a game in a genre that has not existed before, so it's hard to say. <laughs> Uh, I would define it as a murder mystery game. Ish? Um, yeah. It's, it's, like a, a, it's an adventure-ish? It's adventure-esque. Yeah. It's, uh, Return of the Oberdin is a game where you are put on a boat and told that you have to solve 60 murders. And the way you solve <laughs> these 60 murders is by walking up to a corpse, popping open your pocket watch, and using it to travel back to the very second of that person's death. That is a still diorama that you can walk around and examine. You can find other corpses in to jump to their deaths. And you have to use those dioramas to not only solve that person's death, but also to gather gather clues for everybody's death. Yeah. So, for example, one of the very earliest ones you do, uh, somebody calls a man, Captain, How says, Captain, how could you, before he shoots him in the face. Yeah. Don't know his name, but you do know that he was killed by the captain, and he was shot in the face. Simple. <laughs> then, you, then you go to the, then you keep walking, and you find another corpse uh, in another room, uh, sitting in a chair, and you go to their moment of death, and it's that same figure who shot that other guy, so it's the captain, shooting himself, yeah. committing suicide. And there you go, you've solved the first puzzle. They get incredibly complicated from there. Incredibly ob- just sort of dark and absurd in places. It manages to be funny and upsetting all at once. It ha- it tells this really interesting story about a crew gone mad and what it what they do to, you know, survive on the on the high seas. And the way that you walk around and explore people's deaths is so it's fascinating because every diorama there there I don't think there are 60 dioramas but there's 60 deaths yeah and not one diorama has a clue that contradicts another yeah 
And the game prevents you from guessing by making it so that it only correct it only gives you your correct answers in sets of three. So you can't just guess at it; you actually have to solve everything. It Someone is once described this to me as like video games. Sorry, as like murder mystery Sudoku. Yes, it's well. If you've ever played those puzzles, like those logic puzzles that are like a logic square, where it's like, well, Gerald doesn't want to sit next to Rebecca, but Rebecca will only sit at the head of the table. But and and Timothy refused to sit across from Rebecca. Well. Thomas wants to have the four, you know, wants to make, is left-handed, so he would prefer, you know, not have bumping into somebody. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It is that writ large with 60 people, and you need to know their names, which you have all their names, but you don't have, you can't associate them with faces. So you you, you to have the full ma- the cast, not the yeah, cast. Yeah, the, 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 the ship roster, yeah. right? You know everybody, you know the names of everybody on the ship, you know the, you know faces of everybody in the ship, because you have a painting of everybody, but you don't put, have any ability to put the faces to the names until you start invest, investigating. Yeah. You need to know how they died, and who killed them. Yeah. And that will lead you to some incredible places. Oberdin is not a long game. I think it maybe took me six to seven hours start to finish. Yeah. But I would play a thousand games just like it right now. It must have been unbelievably difficult to make. I don't know how you even test this game. You need to have different people test it every time. So what is this game going to get, Dan? It is going to get a pair of golden sunglasses mailed to it from a cabana in Morocco <laughs> from the ship's doctor recently deceased and... On those uh, pair of golden sunglasses, some DNA that will allow you to witness you and my last <laughs> moments on this earth as we are killed oh by an by a weird spear wielding shadow man riding a big crab. Well, that's horrifying. I look forward to my fate. Uh, Next up, <laughs> so open worlds are bad in the sense that, like, I would not want to live in a video game open world. Red Dead Redemption seems big. Um, it's scary, and it turns out that if you bump into someone, you get arrested. So, they most video game open worlds are implausible hellscapes. But among all of these pl- implausible hellscapes, there can only be one best implausible hellscape, and that's the New York City presented in Marvel's The Spider Man. Marvel's The Spider Man. Now, I want to know the New York already an unnavigable hellscape. Yeah, <laughs> one of the most incredible cities on earth. It's basically a nightmare land. It turns out that it's the only place where the subway can it can rain inside the subway. But but one man can avoid all that. The Spider Man, and he can do it because he can web swing. And it turns out this game presents such an fun explorable world that i just really enjoyed it's like comfort food in the way that like this game is not ambitious it's not real it's just they picked a uh a set of movement mechanics and they picked an environment that where you get to navigate that and they focus on making that as fun as possible and then within that allowing for bits and pieces of of narrative um to kind of play itself out in kind of interesting ways now ultimately the New York City presented in this game, uh, regardless of inaccuracies, it's not realistic. No. But it is a, like a lot of. It does take the the kind of spirit you want for a superhero game, which is that you get to see the, you get to see these gorgeous sunrises, you get to see the the New York skyline, you get to kind of go up the tallest buildings, and you get to go through the through alleys, and there's this whole like great range of experiences and the whole middle of the game more or less takes place just in new york you don't really get any tailored like um spots to explore um and but i was still satisfied despite that not being any not a ton of instance levels because the new york city is just so much fun to be in literally just moving is so much fun yeah um the sheer joy of going from one building to another whether it's through 
web zipping, which allows you to rock it forward through a big swing and then letting go at the right moment and then picking up a swing again, allowing your, your, your swings to go either super high or super fast, depending on where you let go. Um, I find, I found that just an incredible relief to, to be a part of. And also it made like, I very rarely, there's a, there's a fast travel system that's actually a lot of fun. You get to see Spider-Man ride the subway and, and it plays like a, a cute encounter. Sometimes it's like a man has fallen asleep on Spider-Man. There's someone who's like looking at, uh, looking at Spider-Man on his phone and then looks up and sees Spider-Man. Like it's a, it's fun, but I never wanted to use it because I was always trying to get from one point A to point B and like, in in kind of like a, a basically a really bad detour. Yeah, that, you just want to have the most fun exploring New York possible. Yeah, it's um it's a it's a really great package. Uh, there's I I hope that whatever they do in Spider Man Two, it's like a little in terms of gameplay, it's a little bit more ambitious overall. Perhaps a little higher skill ceiling. Perhaps on, a few less bad stealth segments. Yeah, um, but for the most part, New York City. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of games where and sometimes feel like why just make a series of just make a series of levels just whatever why do i need to go from this part of the map to this part of the map to experience this thing but this is a game that really takes advantage of its setting and really makes it fun to be in that setting and for that's a very simple pleasure and for that i commend it um and, uh, what will we be giving it for that i will be spider-man will be getting a uh, insomniac will be getting a Backpack filled with memorabilia that probably shouldn't have been left at the top of the Empire State Building, and yet has. And um, inside will be a pair of golden sunglasses. So our last game that gets an award is the uh, Best Props Award to Yakuza 6, The Song of Life. So do, do you, is there much singing in Yakuza 6? There's not. Well, you can go play karaoke. Okay. Do a karaoke minigame. But what makes the props so good, Dan? The thing about Yakuza 6. So Yakuza 6 is a dad game. <laughs> it is a dad game. It's just another like game about fathers, Except yes. unlike that game, your child is your step, is your, your adopted daughter's child. So it's yes. a grandchild. You're really a granddad. You're a granddad. And it's also a baby. And also <laughs> use the PlayStation controller to play Oopsie Daisy and Peekaboo with it. Yeah, that's cute. Which is Great. Yeah. Uh, you do that while running around a uh, small rural Japanese fishing village looking for milk. Um, <laughs> Yakuza 6 is a great game. Yeah. Yakuza 6 is a game about what honor means and what family means and what happens when those two things cross each other's paths in a way that you can't necessarily abide by. But it's also a game about pitching a baseball right into a dude's eyeball. <laughs> Yakuza 6 does the best context-sensitive interactables in combat I've ever seen in a video game. Every animation that you can pull off with some of the crazy stuff that you pick up in the world is amazing. So give me an example of, like, a, a cool interactable object that you can get in the game. So, very simple. You can find a bicycle that you can just chuck at a dude. <laughs> uh, you can pick up people's weapons and fight with them. You can, uh, in one of, again, one of my favorites, you can uh, throw a uh, traffic cone at somebody and then drop kick the traffic cone <laughs> into them. Um well, and one thing, when, like, when you say props, like, there's, part of this is, like, there's a lot of, like, weird little just, like, the detail on objects is yeah. so great to look at. Like, there's a level of, like, with whether it's a beer bottle, whether it's a bike. Like, the the fact is the bike, like, they have, they, they, they have, like, uh, you can see kind of the rims on it. You can see the basket and everything kind of comes. And, like, when he throws it, there's, like, a heft to it. Yeah. There's, like, they do a really good job with the animations between one from the other. And, and, and these attacks, which are called heat actions, I believe. 
um, include such things as stomping a, on a dude's face and then sliding your foot along <laughs> the ground to curb stomp him while also grinding his head against the ground. He's fine. Don't worry about him. <laughs> He's um, just knocked out. Yeah. There, there are so many incredible things that the game does with these props that you see in the world and can interact with regularly. Um, one of my favorites is chucking entire Vespas at people, <laughs> which is amazing. Kiryu is real strong. Kiryu is a really strong guy. Now, again, outside of that, the combat is really fun, but but the game is really carried by how just insane it is. Yeah. And there are props that the game uses that are not combat-related. For example, the amazing mission where you chase a, a uh, Roomba <laughs> around to, around Kamurocho, the fictionalized district of Tokyo this takes place in. You chase this Roomba because it swallowed a guy's wedding ring. <laughs> or a picture of your adopted daughter who is also an idol that you give to another child because that child's a big fan of your daughter's. Um. This game does so many incredible things with its world and its setting. Um, that's focused around like these objects. That is focused around these just these small objects that mean some of them mean stuff to people, and some of them are just mean things in combat. It's it's really really good, and even the baby is kind of a prop. If you think <laughs> about it. Um, I, I mean, it's not sentient. Not yet. No, not really. It's not sentient until sentient until it's like two years old. I yeah, think that's how it works. That's object permanence. That's how that works. Yakuza 6 is the first Yakuza game I played, and it has made me completely love Yakuza, and I will be playing all of them. So do play Yakuza 6, the song of life. And Dan, what will that game be getting? That game will be getting a pair of golden sunglasses pulled off of a Yakuza mook's collar, uh, you know, uh, shirt collar, and then jabbed into his eye several times before he lays bleeding, beaten on the ground, and you throw the glasses and stomp them underfoot as the rest of his friends run away from Look forward to that in the new Judgment Eyes game. <laughs> yes. Or uh, Judge Eyes. Can't wait to judge those eyes. So, with that, I can feel the burden lifting. It's been another year. The ghost of Yamauchi is floating out of the studio. You would think that soundproofing it would also ghostproof it, but no. No, it turns out two different things. It turns need, out two different things. We need next, an exorcist. We need to get a ghostproof studio so we don't have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need, we need to find a way to, to kind of keep the spirits out. That or we seance him in next year. Like, yeah. <laughs> Let's get a Ouija board for this next year. Why is he talking through us when he could talk himself? Exactly. So, from CGRU in Toronto, you've been listening to Built to Play, finally free of this curse. I'm Armanik Bali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. You can follow us on Twitter at Built to Play or visit our website, builttoplay.ca. You can find us on Facebook, but hey, if you really like the show, be sure to tell a friend or review us on Apple Podcasts or any of your pop favorite podcatchers. Really help us out. Or you can send us an email at builtplayshow at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter personally. That's at F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N and I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen uh, you can follow the show at uh, Built to Play I believe that was already said I yes. don't remember um, and remember if you have any demands forced on you by a malevolent spirit of a former video game executive just remember the immortal words of Bordeaux's dad just do it thanks so much for listening <laughs> <laughs>